I'd like to talk today about the spiritual world, about um, that which we do not see, but that we know exists, and uh, kind of delve into what we see with Jesus and Paul. This would be the beginning of a um, beginning of a series that we'll hit on once in a while, um, but I kind of like to do it in a different way. I'd like to do it kind of together as if people have some questions or if they're seeing something in the scripture that I don't see, and they have questions and they want me to investigate it, let's throw it on the whiteboard. That's kind of where I'm at. So that's, that's what's going on here. Um, today I'd kind of like to dive into the spiritual world based on what we read in the New Testament, which is probably where we've spent most of our time reading in our Bible. And just kind of look at, I can't, I can't do an exhaustive go through today, but, uh, but I do want to look at stuff, especially in Mark. Um, Mark is full of it, and Paul has a lot to say. So we're going to look at Jesus and look at what Paul has to say. And, uh, this is my, one of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence, the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, the devils, are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. I think that a lot of people are at this point, um, they just don't care, or some people just get stuck in a rabbit hole and this is all they dwell on. And so I want to look at, try to see if we can figure out a healthy way to think about our spiritual world, what's in it, um, what's the biblical way of looking at it. Um, and let's just be honest with what's in there. Um, there's a lot of Western resistance to a spiritual reality. Western Christians lack a coherent biblical way to think about the forces of darkness or angels. Today I'm going to spend a little more time on the baddies, but there are goodies. And um, Hollywood likes to teach you about them. Um, our culture likes to treat you about, like, teach you about them. I mean, we have the cute cherubs that float around and these fat little baby children with wings. And that's not what a cherub is in the Bible. It's like the cherubs in the Bible would eat those things or something. So we have to evaluate things that we have in our minds. Satan running around with a cape and hooves and tails. And there's actually, there's actually traditional reasons why people think of them like that, but none of them are based really in correct theology. Anyway, so we lack a coherent biblical way, that's a little loud, to think about the forces of darkness or angels. Uh, Hollywood messes with our thoughts. Sometimes we just have poor biblical studies. We don't know how to cross-reference. We don't know how to go look at everything. Um, sometimes we just get bad tradition um, culturally. Uh, sometimes you can have bad traditions in your denomination. Sometimes you just have a bad tradition based on maybe books you've read. Um, overlying skepticism, there's always those that just like this stuff, it doesn't exist. Um, it's part of the myth of the Bible. Um, lack of knowledge. Some people just don't know because they haven't studied, and that's okay. Uh, and then there's recent findings, too, where we find out more um, about culturally what they were thinking about those things at the time, what their neighbors were thinking about these things at the time. So there's, there's definitely ways that, there's definitely things that help us to resist truth regarding this. Um, while some do not want to acknowledge this area, they want to remain skeptics, and they, don't, they believe it's too fantastical. They have no other problems acknowledging other supernatural beliefs, such as resurrections, virgin birth, supernatural powerful blood, existence of invisible sin, existence of supernatural blood that could cover up that sin, the miracles of Jesus, who is somehow God and man, etc. 
They're willing to accept all of that stuff, but they don't want to think about the darkness. And so there's, a, there's supernatural things going on in our Bible. All of us have supernatural beliefs. Um, but we need to get a whole encompassing look at that. Um, why is there resistance to a spiritual reality? These are my opinions. I've been talking to people a lot lately as I was preparing for this. Um, I've been reading. Um, some people have a resistance to it because they feel there's a discontinuity in teaching. They, they think that when they're getting taught, there's things that are always contradicting themselves. Um, some just say they, they take away from a traditional teaching that's passed down. Um, existence of forces of darkness will recover will require responsibility to deal with them. Some people just don't want to deal with it. They don't want to think about it. They don't want to deal with it. There's probably some fear there that needs to be taken care of, and that's why they're resistant to, to learning what Jesus and his followers had to say about them. Uh, some people just believe that they're ghost stories for ancient people. Uh, some people told me that they, they don't need to think about it because it was just something that the early church took care of. Um, if you learn too much about this, you're going to be seduced to the dark side. So people just want to stay away from it. Um, we'll just let the weird Christians deal with it. There's a number of churches that deal with this stuff, and they're a little crazy. Let's just, they can do it. They don't need to do it. Um, and then there's other people that, that looked into studying it, and they said, you shouldn't have to get into language or history to learn something if it's important. Which, with this stuff, you do. Because there's a lot, of, there's a lot going on. Why this is important. Jesus' death and resurrection took care of multiple things just beyond sin and death. This is extremely important in missions to spiritual thinking people and cultures. A correct spiritual worldview in what Jesus did with death and resurrection. In the American church, we think about sin and we think about death, but we don't think about all of the spiritual ramifications beyond that often. Not saying everybody. When you go into the mission field and people are encountering these things on a daily basis, they need to know what the power of Jesus death and resurrection affords them in their spiritual life. That's important. When I go to Bangladesh, when I go to Sri Lanka, people are accepting of this stuff because they, they see the other side. They see the baddies. There's no hidden baddies over there. There's no Western minds to keep into effect. You can, if you want to find it, you can find it over there. Um, it is our right as sons and daughters to partake in the full spiritual benefits given to us. This means being able to discern and put down things brought against that have no true authority. It will help us to sort out what New Testament writers were writing about. Paul, Peter, and Jude say some strange things. There's, I've, I've heard stories about people that are doing studies of Peter, and they get to Peter too, and they skip it. They just tell the pastor, told the congregation, we're just going to skip this because it's crazy and I don't really know where to go with it. Um, everything in the Bible is there for a reason. Uh, know your enemies. So if you do believe in this stuff, you need to figure out what they can and cannot do. The Bible has answers. Um, we hear people say things like, the devil made me do it. Things like that. You know that that's... If you have some good theology and you're reading your Bible and you know what people are thinking, you know... Uh, Old Testament words. So here's the thing. You talk about demons, and demons doesn't truly exist as a word in the Old Testament. Um, when they translated the Septuagint, a few words might get translated over to demons because demon is a Greek word. But the Hebrews didn't regard them as demons. The Hebrews regarded them as spiritual beings, and they gave different names to these spiritual beings. We're not going to get too far into this today because I do want to focus on the New Testament, but I don't want people to think that, like, there's some academics that will like to say, you don't have any demon issues until you get to the New Testament, therefore it's made up. This was an issue before. It is an issue before. They did see it. They called it different things. We can get into that later. But I did want to go through some words right now. Um, 
And at any time, if people have some questions or they think this is interesting, they want me to go any further on it, raise your hand so we can put it on the whiteboard. So I'm going to do one right here. One word that gets translated demon is uh, rephaim, which actually means like giants or shades. Shades like weird ghost things. I don't know. My conception of shades are probably different than what shades are conceived as with the Jewish people. Um, but the Rephaim is talked about quite a bit with natural people and both with spiritual entities. Um, especially when the Philistine giants got killed. And after this, in Chronicles and after this, there arose a war with the Philistines at Gezer. The Philistines were, of course, people that had some giants. You had Goliath and Goliath's brothers and this giant crew. And the, then Sibachai the Hushatite struck down Sippai, who was one of the descendants of the giants. The word for descendants of the giants there is Raphaim in Hebrew. And the Philistines were subdued. But then later when you go on, uh, in Isaiah 13, 13, O Lord our God, other lords besides you have ruled over us, but your name alone we bring to remembrance. They are dead. They will not live. They are shades. The word there was Raphaim. So, something going on with... Giants, shades, it's weird. Um, they will not arise to that end. You have visited them with destruction and wiped out all remembrance of them. Job 26, 5, the dead tremble under the waters and their inhabitants. The word for the dead there is Raphaim again. So what is this connection between these giants and these shades, these dead spirits? The dead tremble under the waters and their inhabitants. Sheol is naked before God and Abaddon has no covering. Sheol is... The old belief of hell, or Hades, the, the place underneath. Um, later, you get the word obat, or obarum, which we'll get more of into the next slide. Um, sorry, it's small. Just crammed a bunch of stuff on. Ezekiel 39.11. On that day I will give Gog a place for burial in Israel. The Valley of the Travelers, or the Valley of the Spirits, is how it gets translated, that Oberim. East of the sea, it will block the travelers, for there... Gog and his multitude will be buried. It will be called the, called the Valley of Haman Gog. Now, we'll go over into some of the other names. We'll get some more of the idea with the Obiram or the Obats, which is their word for spirits, but they're not good spirits, so we know they're baddies. We don't really know exactly who they are. Uh, Leviticus. God is laying down some law. He's telling people not to mess with certain things. Um, the Adonai, the knowing ones, translated spirits of divination. So do not turn to the spirits, obat, which are these dead ones, um, to the ones who have knowledge, the Yadani. So he's saying, don't talk to these dead spirits. Don't talk to these spirits of divination. Do not seek them out, and so make yourselves unclean by them. I am Yahweh, your God. If a person turns to the spirits, to those who have knowledge, again, those divining spirits, whoring after them, I will set my face against the person, and I will cut him off from his peoples. This is important. God is a jealous God. This is one instance in the Old Testament where you see it coming through, and he's got some strong language about what happens when you're messing with spiritual entities that are not for you. A man or a woman who has a spirit, Ab, or knowing one, the knowing one, not meaning knowing the spirit, but or a divination spirit in them shall surely be put to death. They shall be stoned with stones, and their blood shall be upon them. Hard stuff. Um... Another word is mitam, which, which means death, like a spirit death, like a spirit of death. And when they say to you, inquire of the spirits, again, there's obats, and the divination spirits who chirp and who mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? 
Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? God is saying, don't get your spiritual information from these spiritual entities. Come to Yahweh. Listen to my prophets. So there's instances in the Old Testament where this stuff is coming out. They're just using different words for it. So I wanted to, I wanted to kind of put that down the people that try to say, it's not occurring in the Old Testament, therefore they make it all up in the New Testament. Because in the New Testament, it's everywhere, as we'll see. The other place, the other word that they use is Shadim. And Shadim roughly translates as a territorial spirit, which I thought was interesting. So, I'm going to put that on the board, because that's a little different. You'll see why Shadim is a little more important, because Paul likes, when he does say demon, um, spelling's going out the window. Um, he's going to talk about Shadim, and that gets translated to demons in the New Testament. Um, with this idea of a territorial spirit. Um, so it's scattered throughout. There's more of this throughout the Old Testament. It's, it is scattered, though. There's not really sections that just have tons of it, but it's, it's throughout. So I don't, I don't agree with those that say that it's all made up during the Second Temple, and then it gets into our Bible, because that's what people are thinking at the time. Like there's some demon fad going on in Israel. Um, that's not the case. Um, New Testament... You get there, and it's hello, spiritual world. We have demons. We have everything else happening. Paul's talking freely about principalities. It's a little different than what we were used to in the Old Testament, which, again, we've talked about in the past. There's this disservice where we don't, you know, 400 years of what they say is silence, but things are going on. Uh, Mark 1, what I like about the Gospel of Mark is there's no, there's no long pretense with Mark. Like, he just gets going. When he starts his Gospel... Here's Jesus. He's baptized. Jesus is saying the kingdom is here. We've done that in the first 10 verses. Now Jesus is ready to go. Um, 12 verses in, Jesus is confronting Satan. I don't know how much we'll get on the Satan today. And getting some angel helpers. So right away when we open up Mark, we're not even 12 verses in. We've already got Jesus interacting with the spiritual world. Um, he grabs a few disciples, and then we pick up our first unclean spirit event. I also want to note that they're calling them unclean spirit. They're not necessarily calling them demon. Does that mean anything? I don't know. We'll look. So I'm going to put unclean spirit here. So another thing to look at, why they're calling unclean spirit, not just referring to them as demons. Because at times they will refer to them just as demons. Um, Mark 1.21. So here we are, first chapter of Mark. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as one of the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Okay. So, calling them impure spirits here. I want to note that. Um, I don't think we have to know. They knew exactly who Jesus was when he walked in the door. So they're familiar with the being that is Jesus, in their case, the way that they're seeing them. They're seeing something on the spiritual side that the people in the synagogue were not, uh, were not aware of yet. Um, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were so amazed that they asked each other, What is this, a new teaching? And with authority... He even gives orders to the impure spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Notice that they were not shocked by an impure spirit. They knew about impure spirits. Now he's got control over the impure spirits. 
they've got a history for this. They've got ideas about this. And uh, here Jesus comes. And here he is in, in um, the land that is still Israel, um, under Jewish control, technically. And they recognize him as Jesus of Nazareth. As soon as they left the synagogue, again, this is the first chapter, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever. They immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out, drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. That's kind of an interesting one to me, is that he doesn't want him talking about who he was. I'm sure Jesus has his reasons, so it'll be fun to find out. Again, still in the first book of Mark. Or the first, yeah, the first part of Mark. Early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place. When he prayed, Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, he exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby village, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and driving out demons. Okay, we are in the first, if you were to just read this chapter of Mark to understand who Jesus was, what is Jesus doing in this first chapter of Mark? That's an open question. You can answer. That's, what? Driving out demons, what else? Two, healing. There's, there's two things that keep getting repeated. He's healing, he's driving out demons, he's preaching. Preaching in churches, but also preaching outside of churches. So I think within one, with one chapter, we kind of get a feel. Mark makes it clear who Jesus is and what Jesus does. Um, Mark 3. Mark 2 has some stuff, but I'm just trying to keep us moving. When Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebub, or Beelzebul, by the prince of demons who is driving out demons. So Jesus called them over and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, the house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter... A strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit will not, never be forgiven, and they are guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying that Jesus has an impure spirit. So again, the focus is on the impure spirits. They think that Jesus has an impure spirit, and because he must have a more powerful impure spirit that's beating up other impure spirits, like it's some kind of game. Which also, if you want to study blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, I think it's interesting. Moving on now. So Mark 5, they went across the lake to the region of the, of the Gerasenes. Now, this is not Israel proper now. So now he is no longer in... In Jew land, he has now entered Gentile land. But what's fun about this is this Gentile land is part of the land that was supposed to be promised to Abraham. So think about that with authority, too. And when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. And This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. 
For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and he broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Son of the Most High God is an important title. It usually is only referenced in a few occasions in the Bible. The Most High God. In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. Stop here for just a moment. Territorial again. They don't want to leave the area. Something about territories. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in town and the countryside when the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. It's kind of a weird reaction to taking care of this giant guy who had been, nobody had been able to control. Um, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. The Decapolis is a series of ten towns that people were brought into. We talked weeks back about how Israel was full at one point, but then the Romans kept taking things. Eventually the, the, the Jewish leaders had died. The Herods took over. They're losing land. Part of the land they lost, and they kicked the Jews off it, they then encouraged other Greeks to come in and settle. So when it talks about the Decapolis, it literally means the ten cities. These were ten settlement cities of Gentiles. So what is interesting here is Jesus is announcing authority over these spirits of the, of the Decapolis, this region, um, and they, he's doing it for the benefit of the Gentiles already. He started, he started in three and was dealing with them in Judea, Israel proper, and now he's gone and he's going over to the Gentiles and he's doing the same thing with the Gentiles. For historical reference, the people in the Decapolis, those ten cities, they're all Zeus worshipers. So they're still, they're still sacrificing and worshiping Zeus. And uh, I want Jesus out of there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think there were people that were afraid spiritually of what might happen with their gods. And I also think that's a lot of money. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I do. I, th- I think they were also scared of the gods that they worshipped. I think they're the repercussions. Um, so, along with territorial, let's put that. Um, I'll just put small g. Other god worship. And then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the twelve to him. He began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions, take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts, wear sandals 
but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. If any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And so they went out, and they preached that people should repent. And they drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Um, Jesus is going further up now on his journey. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about it, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First let the children eat all that they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he told her, for such a reply you may go, the demon has left your daughter. So he wasn't even around, and the demon had to leave. He went home and found her child. She went home and found her child lying on the bed, and the demon had gone. So the dog issue there, there's some references between Jews and Gentiles there that we're not going to spend any time on, but that's kind of what's going on there. First to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. But he had been, he had been sprinkling to the Gentiles the whole time. And when they, Mark 9, And when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generations, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. And so they brought him, and when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, please take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me to overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet. And he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. I have a question there. Why is that one different than the others? Because the disciples were already taking care of demons. Why is this one different? In other parts, yes, Josiah. Yes. Yep. Yeah, it says both. Sometimes in your whatever version you're looking at, if it doesn't have fasting, it'll have a little footnote thing where you can go see other translations fasting. Yep. Matthew twenty five forty one, and then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the entire internal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So this is where we have Jesus saying that there's the devil with his angels. Up until this time we don't hear anybody calling them fallen angels or angels. So and then our great commission. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover.
I mean, it's just, it, hopefully by now we've gone through so much. It's in there. It's in there a lot. Um, and so my question, so we're going to get into this a little bit here. Where do people think that these spirits come from? Anybody? Yes. Rebellion to God. Who are these spirits, do you think? Something to think about. We'll keep reading. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, this is after he just sent them out. Uh, he sent out the 70 or the 72, depending on whether, what truly, oh, this gets into stuff, but 70 or 72, we're good with it. And when they returned, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Snakes and scorpions were often how demonic things were depicted. I don't think he's actually telling them to go try to walk all over scorpions and snakes. I mean, maybe. I don't know. I don't think so. Acts 5. Now we're getting, we're getting post-earthly uh, Jesus. We have resurrected heaven Jesus. Uh, now many signs and wonders were regular, regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. They were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on them. The people gathered from all the towns across or around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were healed. So this is happening after Jesus is gone, and the flesh gone. And uh, they're continuing to do this. Paul is going to write quite a bit about spiritual forces, but he only uses the word demon three times in all of his letters, which is interesting because we just we toss around the word demon, and I think that we toss around the word demon for too many things. If we want to use it as a classification of just evil spiritual beings, maybe that's okay. But some people associate demon with specific things. Um. Two of the times he uses it, he's talking about Shadim, which is, again, going back to territorial spirits. Um, the, the Greek for demonian, it means like a, a supernatural power. could be used interchangeably with theos throughout different translations and in different Greek books, which is uh, the word for lesser gods, the inferior divine beings. So just interesting that that's the word they picked. There were other words for spirits that they could have picked, but they chose one about lesser gods and lesser beings. Paul addresses the Gentiles with this. In all of the other places where he refers to spiritual forces, he uses the following words. Rulers, principalities, powers and authorities. Again, powers, but with a different, different word. Dominions, lords, thrones, and world rulers. This was the accepted worldview in other regions. Um... He's going to get into this. Ephesians has a lot of this. But the, the famous one that we always read and talk about, Ephesians 6.12 includes a number of words listed on the previous slide. Our struggle is not against blood and flesh, but against the rulers, the archon, against the authorities, exousia, against the world rulers, cosmocrator, or this darkness, against the spiritual forces, pneumocatus or pneumaticos, um, of wickedness in the heavenly places. So he's, re he's referring to all these these, these bigger words. He's not just flat out calling them demons. So what is, you know, what is he talking about? 
we know that he's talking about the Shadim a few places as territorial spirits. So now we have principalities and powers and world rulers and um, running out of room. Should have done the big one, but I didn't think it would last. I'm just going to put principalities. When he talks about principalities and power, does anybody that make you think of anything in the Old Testament? Where you say in Daniel? What about Daniel? So she says, would you, would you tell them? <laughs> so that's, the, that's the good one. That's, the one that, that's how most people base their, their continuity is based on that Daniel inference for all of this. And he's going to talk about it a lot, which means that Paul is thinking about it a lot. Um, so it's somewhere in Paul's framework, somewhere in where it's somewhere within what Paul was taught and what the Holy Spirit is telling Paul. Um, so we're just going to look again. Ephesians 3.10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Um, Ephesians 1, in what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. Colossians 2, 3, and you who were dead in your trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. he set This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put to them open shame by triumphing over him. So when he's talking about the rulers and authorities, um, he's also tying in legal demands. How does that work? Why do these principalities have legal demands? Now, he's talking to Greek people. Keep that in mind, too. They have a better understanding of this, I think. He's covering a lot of stuff. Somehow, those rulers and authorities had legal demands. Record of debt. First Thessalonians, for they themselves, and I'm just, this is just a quick, just going through stuff. You could study each of these passages so much further. But I'm just, today is just to get this out and say, there's a lot going on. Do we understand what's going on? Can we understand what's going on? For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we have had among you, and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he was raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. So this is one of those places where they use the word interchangeably with idols. So I think idols is important. Um, And now we'll get to the Satan part of it a little bit. I don't really enjoy Revelation. I don't really enjoy the end time stuff at all. But Revelation's 12. Some of it doesn't seem that crazy. Just not very good at understanding it. Um, But I will say with Revelation 12, I think there is something that it tells us about Satan and about uh, more rebellious spirits. Um, Revelation 12. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and crying out in birth pains and agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in the heavens. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to earth. The dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. 
She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God in his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has been prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. A lot of symbolism there. But let me ask you this. When she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, who are we talking about? Jesus. And when we are saying, but her child was caught up to God in his throne, what are we talking about? Talking about the resurrection. We're talking about the ascension of Christ up to the right hand of God. So this dragon, whether it's symbolic or whether it's an entity, tried to stop the male child from ruling. And uh, he was caught up to God in his throne. Now continuing on. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Looking at Revelation, just looking at the one chapter, when does Satan, when does Satan fall? Yep, somewhere along the lines of, of Jesus and his resurrection, there's a war going on, the war is fought after. So how many in here believe that Satan fell before the earth was created? took his angels with him before anything was even created. Because that's what's taught. Again, we're going to have to dig into this. But that's what's taught, and that's definitely what's not going on here. There's no other male. I mean, the iron scepter and ruling goes right back to, what, Psalms 2? And so there's, there's no way to get out of the Jesus part of this. So that's what I'm saying. There's a lot of stuff going on that we think are certain things that haven't necessarily happened yet when they're happening. So what's going on with all these spirit things? They can go on to Revelation 12, but I think, I think that's the point has kind of happened. Question. Yeah. I think that it, it causes us to look. Now, I, I think with something like this, and I'm, I need to finish here. I think with something like this, um, I've been diving into this because I had these questions as a kid. And Moody's Handbook of Theology couldn't answer some of these contradictions for me. And I knew that the Bible doesn't contradict itself. I believe that inside. I knew that. And so, so I've been digging, and I've been looking at this stuff, and I've been trying to figure some stuff out. And so that's just kind of where I would like to go with the series. Um, when I get back to it, whenever it is my time again, I want to start digging into some of these things that we have written down here, because there's, I mean, there's a lot of things that are going on that aren't super obvious, but I, th- I think that they're in there. Like, like, Paul is saying what he's saying for a reason. Paul believes what he's saying. And uh, got to figure it out. Again, we got to figure it out because we are in conflict with these things. And I think it's good to know where these things get their power and whether they still have power. I think people allow things more power than that those things are supposed to have. Supposed to have. Um, there's just a lot of tradition. Just a lot of tradition. We're like, okay, where's that in the Bible? I don't know. It's just what we kind of do. Um, exorcisms, the same way. Different denominations have different traditions. Where is that in the Bible? I don't, I don't know. It's kind of tradition. We just do things. So hopefully this has piqued some curiosity. Hopefully. Hopefully it wasn't boring. Hopefully people are like, oh, that's just weird. Um, but yeah, I, this is kind of where I want to go. So I want to figure this stuff out. Um, what's good, though, what we don't have to figure out is that we know that according to Paul, Jesus has got this taken care of already. Like there is power there. We don't have to as Christians, but 
when we start going out and we start interacting and we start doing this thing that we're supposed to do with the Great Commission, we need to bring the correct information. We need to tell people why they're set free, what they're free of. In America, this is, it doesn't seem like that for us because we don't have those lesser gods that we're battling. We don't have all these weird things. But still, I think it's, some of this stuff gets into apologetics and a lot of people will use, a lot of people will use contradictions to say that your Bible is... So, they're not contradictions. We've got to figure it out. So, um, Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you are the God Most High. You are above all names. We sing that you are above all principalities and powers. You are above all other gods. There is none besides you. And we recognize that and we praise you for that. And we thank you that you sent Jesus to release us from anything that we are in captivity to both of our personal accord and of the spiritual authority. And Lord, we love you. We thank you for what you did on the cross. We thank you for what the resurrection means. We thank you that you sit on the right hand of God and you make a way for us, that you've given us that authority, that everything legally lines up. Jesus, we're very thankful. And as we think about this stuff, I ask that there would be no fear for anybody as we think about it and as we we look into things that, that we would be kept from anybody's, any craziness or any fear that might come up from thinking about these things, um, that we would try to get a good biblical view of what's going on. And so, Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would help reveal to us the answers. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.